and I hope it uh, works some things out in you. So we're going to get back to our series that we've been in for the last couple weeks. I think this is our third week in our Sacred Moments series. We, we did not talk about the resurrection last week on Resurrection Sunday, and we're not going to talk about it today either because we're not there yet. Um, we are tracing the footsteps of Jesus as he came into Jerusalem during that final week of his life, and there was a a discourse that took place between he and his disciples um, that's recorded in three of the four Gospels, but we pull this from Mark chapter 10, and Jesus told the disciples this. It says, as they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, Jesus walking ahead of them, it says, they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. It says, taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock, spit, and flog, and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And so the interaction, I told you there's five things that are said here. We're dealing with them in, a, in kind of a pairing of four. Um, and so the first week we talked about that going up to Jerusalem, and the ascent was a physical ascent because Jerusalem as a city is situated on a hill, but there's much more to that because the word that Jesus used there for going up is a, a very specific word, and it's only used a couple of times in Scripture. There's a common word for walking up a hill, and then the word that Jesus used there. And he was trying to relay to the disciples the necessity of what he was doing, but also that they needed to put themselves in a position where they were looking up and preparing themselves for what's going to happen. And we know because we have the benefit of hindsight, they didn't do that, because as soon as the things started to happen, they did exactly what Jesus said they were going to do. They all fled, they hid, they were scared, they, they thought it was over with. And Jesus had told them over and over and over again, this is not the ending, but the beginning. Um, so we looked at that a couple weeks ago. Last week we talked about the second one, the Son of Man being delivered. The, the literal translation is to be handed over, and I've told you, from a law enforcement perspective, when you are arresting someone, you're putting your hands on them. Um, and then when they handed from from that to being handed to the chief priest, there's a, 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 a literal laying on of hands that takes place. And I showed you throughout Scripture how God still honored the system that he put in place in the Old Testament through Jesus. So the scribes were going to have to put their hands on Jesus. The Pharisees had to put, the chief priests had to put their hands on him in order for the sacrifice to be beneficial. Why? Because God didn't send Jesus, I told you this last week, to abolish the law, but to be the fulfillment. And so he even did it by saying, when they place their hands on him, it's the literal laying on of the sacrificial uh, nature of the sacrifice. And we looked at that last week. And then when they handed him over to Pilate, Pilate and the Roman guard literally laid their hands on him, and that spread to a Gentile audience, which then also includes us as well. And so the sacrifice becomes sufficient all the way around. And then you get to the, the next thing, the, the mocking, the spitting, the flogging, and the, the killing. Um, I'm not going to talk about this the way you think I'm going to talk about it. I, I want to show you something today that I think uh, you probably know but it, it may not register why things are happening the way that they do. Um, and when, when Jesus comes to this point, they've handed him over, and you talk about these things, mocking, spitting, flogging, and killing, you need to remember that the people that are doing this are the people that just a few days ago were the ones dropping palm branches on the ground and throwing cloaks down and celebrating him coming into the city. So it's not a completely different audience of people. It's the same people. It's the people that were, oh yes, Jesus, Messiah, Hosanna, Hosanna. You've come to save. And we're talking just a few short days later, they're kicking Him as He's carrying a cross. They're spitting on Him. They're literally reaching up and pulling out wads of hair out of His head, ripping at His beard and pulling beard out in clumps and... Just, like I have to ask them, what happened? But then you start thinking about some of the things that God's already kind of been dealing with me about in our own life. How often do we get that same mentality? And then just a 
few moments later, not even days, we're over here like blaming God and frustrated with this and aggravated at that. Well, that's not the same thing. But it is. Like, it, it, it literally is because like the, the idea that we have to, to come... To come in contact with, to be reminded of, and to be aware of is that every time we allow ourselves to be enticed and fall back into sin, it's as if we are crucifying Him over and over again. It's the same thing over and over again. And it's the reason why we'll talk about the after three days He will rise. That proved that that's been conquered. So there's not a change in Jesus. There's a change in us back and forth where the things that you, you hear people teach on, you've heard me say it, that there's a, a battle between the, the flesh and there's a battle between the Spirit and it rages inside of us on a regular basis. More often than not, if we're honest, the flesh wins. And I, I don't want it... Yeah, I do want it. I don't want to make it so personal that we beat ourselves up, but we do need to remember who we're talking about when we talk about Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we need to remember who we are when we approach Him with anything. Even the sin that we have in our life because we've been called to bring that stuff back to Him on a regular basis. Like, don't, don't get it mixed up. You may have gotten saved years ago and you don't think you ever have to say another word of repentance again. Please don't believe that lie. Because we've got to ask for that forgiveness on a regular basis. Because we have to make sure that we put ourselves in the position that we're recognizing that I'm, I want this stuff worked out of me. Not, I just give up and I'm just going to take on His grace. That's not how that grace works. It's not grace if there's no truth attached to it. Grace doesn't allow me just to continue to do what I've been doing. Grace is, is the thing that makes me aware that the truth is I want to get out of that. I don't want to be in that. And folks, if you're just like, well, I kind of like staying in this, and I know God's going to cover me. That's not how it works. Like, you, I want you to understand that. Like, we need to understand that. His grace is absolutely sufficient, but His grace absolutely has consequences attached to it. Like, there, it's not just, we, we hear the free gift of God's grace. Well, that was done on the cross of Christ, and it was left in the grave three days later. That's the gift. Not I get to trample on it over and over and over again without consequence. We live the consequences of sin every day. We just call it things like global warming. And we call it, uh, well, they're just born that way. Or, well, it's, it's my choice. We call it all those things. We, that's what we call it. But guess what? Even in me and you... It's still sin. Michael, you just don't believe in science. I do believe in science. I just believe in it from a biblical perspective. What's the biblical perspective? God said in the beginning that we were going to be the ones that were going to subdue the earth, right? So anything that happens as a result of the earth is because of the consequences of how we have subdued it. So Michael, do you believe in man-made global warming? Yes, I just said I did. Why? Because sin causes it. You and I are not subduing things the way we're supposed to. So guess what the earth does? The Bible says that it's going to groan with inward pain as a pregnant woman would. That's the Michael, Michael International version of that scripture. But it's absolutely biblical to think that way. We just don't, we don't put it that way. You know why other people get frustrated and some of you may be frustrated? You can't blame me for that. And God did this has nothing to do with what we're talking about either. But we do need to make sure that we put ourselves in the position that we need to because it really does kind of have something to do because there's literally one point to this message today. But I want to take you to Luke chapter 23 and kind of walk through what is taking place uh, in the life of Jesus at this point when we talk about the mocking, the spitting, the flogging, and the killing. So in Luke 23, it's going to be verses 1 through 16 this morning. This is what it says. It says, The whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Let me ask you a question. Audience participation. Was that true? No. Negative. It was not true. 
Jesus did not do that. So here we go. We're going to lie on the man first. Let's lie about it. It says, uh, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Did he say that? Nope. Who said it? The people said it. The claims that he had made were previous claims, but he never put it in the terms that they put it. You see how easily we get this stuff twisted? Like We do that too. I just mentioned a lot of ways that we do that. We get it twisted a lot of times. And, it, and then he's going to ask the question. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, What did he say? You, you have said so. Yeah. He didn't say which... What's that new series that's out now? What's it called? What is it? The Chosen. The chosen. Be careful about what you watch. I'm just going to say it. They even put that he said that he's the king of the Jews, and that's not what Jesus said. Like, I know you don't think that's a big deal, but it, makes, it, it, it matters. He says, are you the king of the Jews? He said, you have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But that's the easiest interrogation I've ever seen. So are you the king of the Jews? You said so. I, mean, I ain't got nothing. You're on your own with this one. It says, they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. It says, when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. Hey, do that trick that I've heard you do. Does that sound familiar? Praying, Lord above, I need a miracle. I ain't talked to you in no time, but I need you to perform a miracle. Show me that trick one more time, Lord. It says, he questioned him at some length, but he, Jesus, made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, just screaming and hollering. Does that sound familiar? Like, this all sounds really familiar to me. Like, I don't know where I've heard this before. Sounds like history repeats itself sometimes. People screaming and hollering vehemently about their way and about what they want and everything else. And it says, Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. So, why? What did it just say about Herod? It said that Herod wanted to meet this guy. He wanted to meet Jesus. He wanted to have a conversation with him. So basically, in the blink of an eye, it changes again. You kind of see where I'm going with this? you got a crowd of people that are welcoming him in that are just so excited that he's coming to the city at this point in time. And just a few short days later, they're screaming, crucify him. You've got him going to... The, the only person that found no fault in him was Caesar. The person that they were claiming was just the, the, the most horrible person, Pilate. Pilate's like, I, you're not going to put this man's blood on my hands. And then you got Herod who's like... I have wanted to meet you because I want to see these signs and I want to see this stuff happen. And now he's even saying, he's even saying things with contempt and he's mocking him along with the chief priests. It says, then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. So let's dress him up and then I'm going to send him back. And then here's what happens. It says, And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. So you put Jesus in this picture, and two dudes that hate each other come out liking each other, but for the wrong reasons. Okay? Verse 13. It says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was mis misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. We're going to mock him. We're going to make fun. We're going to poke at him. We're going to do all this, but we still don't. According to our rule and our law, we find no fault in him. And he says, look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. So then I got to ask the question again. 
Punish him for what? Let me ask this again. Do you not see this going on today? Well, the crowds of people are screaming and hollering. Maybe I should start screaming and hollering too. And then you get into the crowd and you start asking individuals, what are we screaming about? I don't know, but we're screaming. We're mad about what? You've seen those videos on Facebook, haven't you? Like people protesting either gun control or uh, what are we calling it now, human rights and all this stuff. Like there's, there's places for on both sides for all of it. I get it. But you get in there and you start asking them questions about like the guns. Like we want to ban assault weapons. All right, what's an assault weapon? How dare you ask me what that is? How dare you tell me what a woman is? Do you know what a woman is? I mean, you, you see what I'm saying though? Like we just get an uproar. Like I know you feel like I may be picking on certain segments, but church, church we do it too. We do it too. We pick our favorite sin and we want to rail against it. We're just as bad. There just ain't nobody coming in with cameras interviewing us about it. We sit in the quiet of our little holy huddles and we pick our little pet sins and we say, well, we're just going to be in uproar about that. We were just talking about this just a little while. It's funny that this part. Okay, I'm, I'm going to bring it up and it's being recorded so it's going to go on a podcast too. I read this this week. Okay, how many of you seen the whole issue with Bud Light recently? Bud Light folks are up in arms because there is a, a transgender young man, woman, whatever he's claiming, she's claiming to be, on the can. A pastor on Twitter. You heard what I just said. Christians are boycotting Bud Light. It's like you're boycotting Bud Light over a transgender? Why are you drinking Bud Light by the case anyway, church? Like this is a pastor on Twitter. Like Christians are going to be... Christians are doing what? And then you start thinking about it. They're like, well, we're still putting it in our bars, but our customers are not buying it. So you mean the drunks are mad about the transgenders? The sin is mad about the sin? I mean, you see what I'm saying? You see how stupid we get when sin's involved? Like the church, I was like, dude, you're a pastor. And you're like, well, my church ain't drinking Bud Light no more. We're not... Were you passing it around at communion? Like, goodness gracious. Like, listen, if you drink a beer every now and then, I'm not against that. The Scripture says not to drink to get drunk. Okay, so I'm not against drinking a glass of wine or if you have a beer periodically. That's Let not what I say, my convictions trump yours. Because that's what Paul said. Why should I be held to your conviction when God hasn't convicted me of it? But I'm just saying, like, we get up in, up in arms about silly stuff, even in the church, and it's like, do you realize what you're saying? You're mad about this, but you're okay with this. We, we, just, we, we get so blinded by so many stupid things. But what's really taking place with Jesus in this picture, I think most of us miss, and here's the whole point. It's this, that honor provokes envy. It doesn't just provoke envy among people. It provokes envy among the demonic presence behind all of it. Anytime we want to glorify the name of Jesus, they are going to stand against that. And so you see Jesus in this picture where the people are honoring Him and there is this prestige. They understand what He's doing as He walks into the city. Like They know the Scripture. They know who He has claimed to be. They know what he's coming into the city to do because it says clearly that they did. So what changed? It's because we had a group of people that got in an uproar and angry because he's taking my position of honor. And it provoked envy in, in them. It provoked envy in the church leaders. It provoked envy in the chief priests and the scribes. It goes into Pilate and Herod because they, they've introduced this guy they're still doing things according to their law that was right, but there was an envy there. How do I know? Because it says that he punished him and was going to release him. Why was he going to do that? Because there's an envy that's attached to this. And for us, it's the same thing that happens over and over and over again. It's, it's, it's recognized. I've said it already. It's works of the flesh. When the Spirit's trying to work something out of me, my flesh is going to say, no, you can't have that. 
He's going to stay right where he's at because he's not going to honor God that way. And then we turn it into things like, well, I'm going to honor God with this part of my life. Like, I'll give you Sunday. That's not what God's interested in. God's interested in the salvation of your entire being. And until we get to a place where we can get over the envy that he gets, that, that we get for the honor that we're trying to give him, do you see the battle that's raging in our own head sometimes? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. And it's exactly what's taking place here. From the beginning of the nation of Israel, God, God already had the plan played out. Like he knew exactly what he was going to do. It's described in detail throughout the Old Testament. And, and most of us just simply miss the connection. And so when you think about this, I've taught on this before. It's been a couple years from the book of Daniel. When you look at the, the four major, uh, major world players, I guess you would call it, the major world-dominated uh, figures that are prophesied in Daniel, you've got the Babylonians and the Medo-Persians, the Greco-Macedonians, and then you've got Rome. And you're sitting here with Jesus coming into this picture. Daniel prophesied, about Rome. He doesn't call them Rome, but we know looking back now, that's exactly who he's talking about. And even going further back than that, all the way back to the creation and the fall of man, God already had a plan. So Genesis 3 tells us, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He's speaking to the serpent or Satan in this instance. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall only, the word actually says, you shall only bruise his heel. But do you see what's, what's in that passage? Like, I don't want to read anything additional to it, but I'm going to put enmity, enmity between you and the woman. So what in the world is the devil doing today? Well, I'm just going to confuse everybody about who they are. This will be a very unpopular message on a podcast. I'm just going to put confusion out there. That's what he's doing. Do you know what Scripture says about confusion? It, says it is of the devil. It's demonic. I, Michael didn't say that. Notice what, G, what God says in His Word right here. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Guess what He's going to do? Then I'm going to do everything I can to attack the opposite between your offspring and her offspring. So there's going to be a difference between these two entities. See, he's going to crush your head, though. It's a, this is called the proto-evangelium, if you would like a scholarly term. It is a prophetic term about Christ's coming before anybody knew Christ was coming. God already instituted this and put it in motion. Now skip ahead to some prophetic literature in Isaiah chapter 53, it says that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Skip down to verse 11. One of the, uh, one, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Then we skip to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Notice that it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive. It is considered a woman in this because it is a feminine word. You see how all this stuff just kind of connects and just keeps going and look at the world around us and there's just all kinds of craziness and I'm not just picking on any kind of don't hear my heart on that because I've listen, I've got people that I have that I know, that I'm acquainted with, that are in that kind of life, and I have to find a way to navigate that with truth and grace. I'm not trying to sit up here and be a jerk, but church, we need to like be okay. Not just okay, but we need to know what the truth is. And if the word's not truth for us, let me back up and put it a different way. Because I know that we all believe that the word is truth when it comes to our salvation. We like that part. But either it's all true or none of it's true. You can't pick and choose what parts of it you like and disregard the rest of it. 
So we, ha we have to be careful about that. So then you skip into Romans when Paul starts talking about the exact same thing that Isaiah prophesied. He said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Notice what he said here. Under your feet. There's a transfer that took place. It says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And then you skip into Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do we, do we understand? Like, Let's not make this about other people. Let's make this personal for ourselves. We understand exactly what's been given to us because the, init the, the initial thought that we have is to put this out there for somebody else. But when I say that honor provokes envy, it provokes envy in you and me. And so there's a rebellious spirit inside of us that when we're not saved and not willing to surrender, we constantly are like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. You got, you've got nothing. You're going to have to prove yourself. You're going to have to do this. That's, that's envy. The Bible's honoring Jesus, the sacrifice he made, and everything that he's done for you and for me. And in us, we want to stay a slave to that envious nature, the sinful nature that Scripture indicates that's in each one of us. And it says that we need to put that to death because he's already defeated death. And we haven't even talked about that part yet. Now we know from a biblical perspective, you go back through the Old Testament, Israel continued to forsake God and then we see Jesus come into the picture and guess what? This was one of those things that it's, this is your last opportunity. God clearly showed Israel, this, this is my Messiah. And do you know what they do even today? Do you know that Isaiah 53 is forbidden to be read? They will not read it. It has been removed from their version of Scripture because there's just too much resemblance to Jesus. If you ask someone who is a, is a staunch Jew about Isaiah 53, most of them will get angry. It's the reason that I said either it's all true or none of it's true. Because we'll remove things because we don't like it and it's not palatable to our sensibility. They do it with their own religion even. So we looked at it last week. God didn't care. God said, my power and my authority is going to be what's on display. And so I'm going to use you, even though you're envious of my son, I'm going to use the authority that I have given you. You're going to place your hands on him and you're going to transfer that onto the sacrifice. The only sacrifice that's sufficient. You thought it was envious, but I'm going to use it to bring about the most good. So even in the midst of all of the nonsense that some of us endure in life, God is going to provoke and do things in that. If we're honest and we can, we can only do it after the fact, you can't do it in the midst of it. Because when you're in the weeds, you're just trying to get out of them. But when you're on the other side, you can look back and say, man, look what, I just, what God brought me through. And you realize what he's doing. All of us have experienced things in our life that we sit in it and we go, what are you doing? And it's in those moments where we are sitting there going, what are you doing that we have to make the decision? Am I going to be envious that you're up high and I feel like you've left me here? Or am I going to provoke the honor out of the depths of my soul that you deserve so that I bring your presence here so that I can get out of this? So that I can see why you're doing what you're doing? And so you see all of that taking place. You see the contrast between Jesus walking in and people excited, and you see them now, just a few days later, ready to crucify. They're going to release a murderer. Do you want me to give you king of the Jews, or do you want me to give you Barabbas, who has been brutally murdering people? Give us the murderer. But who was the ones that did that? Them screaming Pharisees. They started it. They started it as soon as he walked into the city because they were so scared of what he was capable of. And they thought that if we put him to death, he can't hurt us. Man, those idiots. 
And we can, look, you can sit back and you can be mad at him, or you can say, thank you. God used you and you didn't even know it. God did it with Pharaoh. You remember that? Like, people don't like that, but God did that with Pharaoh. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart to make him do the things that he did. Like, are you kidding me? No. God's going to be God. I'm just going to be me. I don't want to be God. I can't. I can't even figure out what's going on in my own head sometimes. Somebody asked me at work the other day, because I, I, I'm, I am more pastoral than I give myself credit for. Where I've stood up here and told you before that I'm not the pastor, that's more Brandy's heart. She's more tender with people. I will stop everything that I am doing to try to figure out what it is that's going on in your life that's causing you the pain that you're struggling through and why you're doing and dealing with things the way that you are. And so being in that restaurant on a regular basis, there's a lot of broken people up in that place. And most people in management positions, you know what they want to do? Okay, you broke the rules, you're suspended. You broke the rules, you're fired. Nope, not me. Why are we breaking these rules? Well, because such and such did this. No, 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 it ain't got nothing to do with that. You've brought something with you from something else that's causing you to do this. Let's talk about that. Well, I don't want to talk about that. Well, you just told me that there's something because you said you don't want to talk about it. One of our young ladies, a team leader, we sat down in the restaurant. It's packed out, and we're trying to figure this thing out. She's having an issue with one of our senior management people, and they've been back and forth for months. And this is the first time I've sat in a conversation with them. And she's like, well, th the other day this happened. I said, no, why do you respond to her the way that you respond to her? Well, because she does this. Why do you respond to her when she does that that way? Because she reminds me of my mom. And she's crying. Now, here's the backstory. Her mom, she has felt like her entire life she's never been good enough. No matter how hard she worked, no matter what she accomplished, mom was never satisfied. And she heard all the time. So now you've got a senior manager over here that she's reminded of that every time. I said, so the problem is not here. The problem is external. So what do we need to do so that when you're addressing her, it's not going to happen this way? We, we've got to have that sensibility about us. That we, we, We've got to re remember that there are souls attached to all this stuff. And if we're, not, if we're not careful, we can just look at things as they are and write them off. And look, I look around at some things, and I get aggravated just like you do. I'm sick of seeing what's going on in the news. It's constantly bad news this and bad news that, and the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. Like, we already knew that. And we're reminded of it regularly. But we have to be able to rise above that and remember that there is more to what we are doing than just simply trying to exist in the chaos. I mean, look, make your plans. We're making our plans. I've got all kinds of stuff that we're working on. She got her chicken coop. We're fixing to get some chickens. I'm fixing to put... I, look, I'm working on rain collection systems, and I'm doing all that stuff. Like, I'm learning things. And yes, podcast, I still have my guns. The, shoot, the other night, that dude killed somebody in Brookhaven, and they chased him just past our house. I was at work. Brandy's like, he bailed off in the woods behind the house. I went home, had one strapped around my chest, standing in the yard. <laughs> Come on, buddy. Sorry, that was the law enforcement side coming out. But hey, I'm, I got to leave work for a minute. I'll be back in a little while. But we, we have to remember, like, look, and look, you, you can say what you want to about that part. I know most of you, are, you, you like your guns too. But Jesus traveled with a sword. Scripture says that they traveled armed. You know how I can prove that? Because they took one out and sliced an ear off when he was being arrested. <laughs> Jesus knew they had those. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was a surprise. He's like, where did that come from? <laughs> he knew. Like, he... He told them, you need, to, you, need to be, you need to be prepared because there's going to be things that are going to happen that it's not just going to be, oh, let me have some grace on you while you're trying to kill me. Sometimes we've got to 
put somebody up against the wall and share the gospel. Got to do what you got to do sometimes. I know that's not, that's so not biblical. Yeah, it, it kind of is. It, it is kind of biblical. Honor provokes envy. That's, that's the entirety of this. And so when we think about that in our own lives and we go back and we start thinking about what Jesus is about to endure that we're going to actually look at next week. Jesus is about to endure not just a death, but he's going to endure something that no one had ever endured at the time. Crucifixion was normal, but the way Jesus was crucified was not. So even the thieves that are on the cross next to him are not being hung the same way that Jesus was. They were tied to the T-post the that they were on where he is nailed to it. No one else had endured that. It's not, it's not normal what he endures. Everybody kind of teaches past that, but the things that he endured was so specific and so necessary to accomplish what God said. And listen, we have to be able to be okay with that. Like we have to realize what transpires through all of the suffering that he endured. And so the pain and the, the agony that was heaped upon him, it's to fulfill what Isaiah 53 says. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why did they have to drive nails through his hand? Because the will of the Lord is going to prosper. Like We're not even going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that next week. Why? Here's why. So it doesn't have to fall on you. Because if we go back and I, I've said this myself. When we go back and we think about it, it's like, during you, Adam and Eve, for bringing this curse on us. They, they initiated it, but you and I continue to live in it. And we have to be responsible for every single response that we have to everything that goes on. His suffering simply demonstrated God's love for humanity. Like, if we look at it from that perspective... Me and you, you and I, in our sinful nature, should not experience the love of God. There's nothing in us that should ever get that. We don't deserve it. It's the reason why when people call the sacrifice of Christ a gift of God's grace, it truly is a gift. It's truly a gift. And Paul echoed this. I'm going to skip the next one, Justin, go straight to Romans. It says, God showed His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we, uh, <clears throat> shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. And so here, here's the simple thing that I just want to leave you with today. If you are here today and you have never made the decision to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask this question. Will you connect to His presence by receiving Christ? And James, recorded in James chapter 4, it says, He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And let me stop there for a minute. Because all of that right there is not in our nature. Because we are all proud. We all are in need of a good dose of humility. And I've put it to you this way before. Peter says, humble yourselves. And I want you to see the other side of it because if you don't humble yourselves, God will do the humbling. So He's giving us even more grace to humble ourselves, to put ourselves in a place of humility, and submit ourselves, therefore, to Him. Once we do that, it says that we can then resist the devil. Some of us try to skip that and resist the devil in our own power and authority. Can't do it. 
if you do not submit yourselves to God, you do not humble yourselves or allow God to humble you, you can't resist. You will not flee. You will stay stuck in the junk that you're in. And then he goes on and he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then nobody likes this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And you see what I put in parentheses right before that passage? Recognition. You just got to recognize that this is the position that we need to find ourselves in. Like in order for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have been proclaiming week after week after week after week to be real, we need to recognize our position, his position, and why it is that we needed this. And put ourselves in a position where we can recognize that I need to be humble. I need to have that moment where I am like I was this morning. It happens on a regular basis. Because there's the second aspect of this. As Jesus is revealing the last things to John in Revelation... As John writes, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Notice what I put there. It's relational. There's got to be a relationship. You've heard me say before, I'm a private person. I am an introverted soul. I like to be left alone. I don't like it when people knock on my door. Even if I know you. The cameras go off. I'm like, who the heck is coming down the driveway? That's not what Jesus does. Jesus lets us in. And then he just says this. He says, and it's not the big bad wolf. Little pig, little pig, let me come in. He's offering you something. He's offering you the opportunity to come into relationship with him. Not me inviting him into relationship with me which is what we've been taught. It's backwards. Then we can go to the next thing, which is we have a responsibility. Hebrews 11 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So we need to recognize who we are. We need to understand that he's trying to have a relationship with us. We need to take responsibility and say, you know what? If I'm going to seek him, it says that he's going to allow me to actually find him. God is not the, the world record holder of finding a hide and seek. He's not hiding from you so that you cannot find him. He is in plain sight. It says that even, even creation cries out. His majesty and His glory. He's there everywhere. We're just not looking. We have to take the responsibility. And then it says in 1 John that the righteousness of God is transferred to you and I. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think we just sang about that too, didn't we? A transfer of righteousness that I do not deserve. Folks, that's... That's how the gospel works. What Jesus did to what he came to do and accomplish on the cross and ultimately rising from the grave three days later, he secured my salvation. He secured your salvation. And all we have to do is humbly submit ourselves under his Righteous right hand. Pretty simple. And once we do that, we're commissioned according to Scripture. We have the ability to reach into others' lives. And if you are a believer in the room today, this is your responsibility with the righteousness that you've been given. There is still a curse over this world. It grows darker and darker every single day. And so we have to be a part of reversing the curse by showing others who Jesus really is. I have this come up regularly. 
Like I am, I'm torn over this when I go to work on a regular basis. You think that because I work at Chick-fil-A that it's just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I have joked recently that we could do a reality TV show and it would, it would probably make us some money because there is some crazy stuff that goes on in Chick-fil-A with the people that we have. And I go home sometimes and I go, God, am I going to be able to do anything with this? How, how, how is this? Lord, help me. Because there's a lot of hurting, broke people up in that place. And for me, it's more than just slinging chicken, as we so professionally call it. Because I look at each one of them, and this one's going through this, and this one has this happening, and this is going on. And it's like, Lord, I know that I have that power and authority that you've given me, but how am I going to do that? How, how am I going to, how am I going to, to change anything? And so, as I've said many times before, oftentimes when God leads me to Scripture, it's for my benefit, but I hope it benefits you too, because I'm sure that wherever you are in your situation, your family, the jobs that you have, where you go to school, the things going on around you, you've probably asked yourself the same question. How can I affect any change where I'm at? And God's Word constantly tells us over and over again how that's going to take place. John 1 says, He was in the world and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. What does that do with anything? That's you and I. That ought to give you encouragement in the midst of the stuff that you're going through and trying to reach people wherever you are. And then if that's not enough, then let's go back to just one passage in Psalm 96. It says, Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. What does it have to do with changing anything? You need to be reminded that He can. You may not be able to, but He can. I need to just I just need to declare. I need to constantly be reminded. I need to. I, I need this in my own life. I I don't know how many times we've been in in this setting on a Sunday morning and singing the songs that we sing. Do you know that when we say the things that we say to God in some of these songs, it's not to remind God because He hasn't forgotten. Oftentimes, it's to remind me right here that all of this is still true. And sometimes I just need to be reminded. I've got to declare His glory among the nations. I've got to, I've got to tell people about the marvelous works that He's done among all the peoples. I, I can't not do it. I have to. And then when I get tired... Paul says, man, you ain't going to get tired. Galatians 6, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. I'm like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired. I just want to go home. Nope. God's Word said, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in, what does it say? Due season. God, when is that season? You know, it's okay to ask that question. It's not okay to quit. When is that due season? God, these people are not going to understand. They're not, they're not going to ever believe what I believe. Michael, you need to remember that feeling that way is because there's a part of you that needs to be worked out because there is some things that you're still ashamed of. I've had that conversation with God before. God, what do you mean? Like, if you don't want to proclaim my name, it's because there is, a, there is an element of you that is trying to be ashamed of the gospel. And Paul, through the Word, Romans 1, he addressed that as well. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why do I put that there? Because I need to be reminded of that. Because there are people that I deal with in life that society is saying, this is just who we are. We need to love everybody like they are, as they are. The gospel says different. 
that I am not who I am, that I need to die to myself to be reborn into a new person. Scripture's clear about that. And when I don't want to say something because I may hurt somebody's feelings, I'm ashamed of the gospel. And you're ashamed of the gospel because we're guilty of it. We, but we're scared we're going to offend somebody. And I, I look, I've, I'm telling you, this is God talking to me more than anybody. And God speaking to Michael saying, Michael, when are you going to care more about offending me than you are of about offending my creation? Because I'm the only one that can kill Spirit. Remember? Remember, you know, God said that, right? Through the Word. Why do you fear man who can only kill the body? Why not fear God who can not only kill the body, but He can destroy the soul and throw it in hell? Michael, why are you ashamed of my gospel? Don't you remember? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then He even throws in there, Paul throws this in there, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He even puts the order that we talked about last week in there. So first, we need to make sure that we've made that connection, that we've put ourselves in a position that we have a relationship with Jesus, that we know what He accomplished on the cross for you and for me. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you're the only person, He still goes to the cross. That's how much you and I mean to God. He's still going to go to accomplish exactly what He set out to accomplish. And folks, we're living in a time, I'm not going to say it like most people say, where, where the, the hour is nearer now than it's ever been. It's true. But we don't need to play with this. We need to make sure, it doesn't matter if we're in the room today and we believe that we have been saved for years and years and years, but there has been no fruit produced. We might want to check the soil that we're planted in. Because if you're not producing fruit, it's not good. Fruit production is not just an option for the believer. It is a necessity of the believer. This needs to matter, not just for me personally. It needs to matter in other people. And I need to be responsible for that. And if it doesn't, you may not be. I think that's one of the things that like, look, I'm telling you, like I, I try to be as transparent as possible. Sometimes I just sit there and go, God, am I even, am I yours? Like I feel dirty and sick and gross. Like what is going on? And God reminds me of all of this over and over and over. And every time I'm reminded of this, okay, God, just give me the strength to go one more day. <laughs> Help me be reminded. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. God, I believe. My prayer for you today is that you do too.